I'm Gabriela Fresquez, and this is Radar 2021. It's hard to imagine life before social media. We rely on it for everything, from organizing events to posting latte art and stocking X's. Today, more than half of the world uses at least one social media platform. In the U.S., that number jumps to 70%. And for this country's teen population, the number shoots to 97%. But what constitutes social media use, really? Lightly browsing through your Instagram feed or maybe taking in a couple funny TikToks? Not exactly. Teens in the U.S. spend up to an average of nine hours a day on these apps. And I get the scrolling, but I can't imagine what I would be posting at 13 years old. There's a reason we keep awkward teen photos hidden and buried in mom's attic where they belong. But the social media world we know could soon change. I've always viewed social media as a creative outlet. So I started uploading videos when I was around 15 or 14 years old on YouTube. Originally, it was just to make me, my friends, and my family laugh. It was just a hobby. Um, but as the years went by and I continued persisting, uh, now, daily, I have millions of people who watch and enjoy my content and it makes them feel more confident and empowered. Social media will always be a creative outlet. It's absolutely amazing that I could just put my thoughts on there and have a platform where I could broadcast my thoughts or my jokes and have these people watch and have these people enjoy. And I'm extremely grateful for that. Most often, the filters we use on social media are the ones that blur our blemishes so much we look like newborn infants. I'm finally worthy of Kris Jenner's love. And since big tech executives last testified before Congress, just one week before the 2020 presidential election, a MAGA, I'm sorry, mega episode born on social media evolved into a full-on insurrection at the seat of government and might have set in motion some major changes to social media as we know it. We have clearly established principles that say you cannot call for violence in this moment. We took down those posts that we thought might be calling for violence or were calling for violence immediately. But in this moment, the risk to our democracy was too big that we felt we had to take the unprecedented step of what is an indefinite ban. And I'm glad we did. Look, I know the convenience and connectivity that social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter provide is something that at this point, some of us would be lost without. I mean, ever since WhatsApp and Messenger made it onto the scene, Abuelas Everywhere have figured out a better way to stay connected to family than buying a $20 calling card for 10 minutes of talk time. Habla, habla. Hola, Marce. ¿Cómo andas? Feliz cumple. These platforms allow us to engage with people around the world, provide the ability to build brand recognition entirely online, and give social movements like Me Too, Black Lives Matter, and Bring Back Our Girls a global platform to affect change. But lately, I've noticed a lot of my friends hopping on the social media detox wagon, many doing it out of concern for their mental health. Because when a friend goes from posting an occasional selfie or photo of their dog to an abrupt stream of inspirational quotes and self-help memes, Probably a red flag. Digital minimalism is a philosophy of technology use. And it says what you should do is wipe the slate clean of the various apps and services that you haphazardly downloaded or just started using at various parts in your digital life and instead rebuild it from scratch, but very intentionally. 
so that the tools that you actually use in your digital life directly serve things that you very care about. When it comes to social media, I think you have to understand what's actually happening with this product. This is an experience that has been engineered to make you a compulsive user of your phone, and therefore should be something that makes you wary. Still, it's hard to resist the drop of dopamine we experience every time we get a few new likes or follows. They're basically virtual hugs. We get rewarded by parts, likes, thumbs up, and we conflate that with value and we conflate it with truth. A whole generation is more anxious, more depressed. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. The first step is admitting we're powerless against those little dings and chirps. Everyone from tech engineers to researchers say there's some serious connections to gambling here. It's all because of this thing called the variable ratio schedule, basically the slot machine method. When you swipe down to load, it's literally like playing a slot machine. You pull the lever to win a prize, sometimes you win, sometimes you don't. The prize on social media, though, isn't money, but all those likes, followers, and new updates. So those same Harvard scientists basically say our brains are kind of being rewired to crave all those rewards. Pretty wild. But... Total social media abstinence isn't feasible for a lot of people because it's either so closely intertwined with their livelihood or for some, it is their livelihood. Social media has completely changed the way we live, the way we interact, and also it's changed the way we make money by creating a new ideal. In this world, followers equal money. And terms like reach, impressions, and engagement are key business terms. The kind that determines how much money influencers can make. So get this, mega influencers like Kim Kardashian can make up to $1 million per post. Let me say that again, that's $1 million. According to a media kick study, over the course of two years, between $1.7 and $2.3 billion were spent on Instagram. But being an influencer doesn't necessarily mean you have to have millions of followers. There are different levels. There's those who have more than 100K followers, aka macro influencers, like Sebas and Espen, a couple known as Two Trends who's built an entire international lifestyle brand. We learned how to grow social media, how to brand ourselves, and we began posting our outfits. Um, we both like to, you know, dress up and whatnot. And what began as a fashion blog now is lifestyle. It's about a relationship. Um, we do videos, photos, we travel, do comedy, so we do it all. Then there are micro-influencers, those with 50 to 100,000 followers, like Mexican influencer Fernando Quinzaños, who built a business model for a dessert shop, Arroba Casa Fed, that runs entirely on Instagram. Nosotros en las redes ahora lo usamos como una herramienta y un poder para Casa Fed. Compartimos historias y mensajes de cómo a la gente le gusta el producto. Entonces todo eso hace que vaya creciendo y que de un puntito se vaya haciendo grande una comunidad, que es lo que hoy hemos logrado. Here's kind of how it works. The industry standard is one cent per number of followers. So for example, I have 45k followers, which means that the currency value of my post is worth $450. But between you and I, brands are willing to pay the big bucks. Micro-influencers can get up to $10,000 if they sweet-talk big money companies with a multi-post campaign. Plus, you can also factor in comments, shares, actions, impressions, reach, industry, platform, age, all that needs to get factored in. You're following me, right? And I mean following me on Instagram. What if all of this disappeared out of nowhere? We've learned to do everything, Photoshop, graphics, video editing. 
I mean, if you take down all of social media, there's still going to be local businesses. So I think that would transition into uh, more of an agency type of thing. So there you have it. Now you know a little more about the influencer world. Go like my pictures. And no one is banking off social media more than big tech. In the U.S., Google and Facebook make up more than half of digital advertising spending. And Apple owns 46% of the smartphone market. And more than half of U.S. e-commerce sales go through Amazon. The amount of power and influence these companies have over the digital marketplace is only growing. And congressional Democrats aren't having it. Perhaps you've noticed that in the U.S., business competition is the norm and that monopolies are prohibited, which means no company is allowed to control the market for any one product or service. To keep that from happening, there are antitrust laws set in place. The government watchdog who enforces them on the federal level, the Federal Trade Commission. In the 80s, they broke up AT&T. In the 90s, they heavily policed Microsoft. Today, it's big tech who finds themselves at the FTC's crosshairs. And ever since a mob of Trump loyalists plotted online to violently take over the U.S. Capitol, whether to break up big tech has become an urgent matter. In fact, it's one of the few issues that has support from both parties. Republicans decried censorship of conservatives louder than ever when Trump was banned from various platforms as a result of inciting the violence. Our two objectives have been to document competition problems in the digital economy and to evaluate whether the current antitrust framework is able to properly address them. Democrats, though, are more interested in the role platforms played in hosting the movements that led to the attack. The new president has already signaled where he stands on the issue. But seeing as former big tech execs play key roles in the Biden-Harris transition team, we'll have to see what sway they'll have on the new administration. Studies have shown that social media sites systematically amplify false information, while facts tend to get digitally drowned out. The truth may be stranger than fiction, but it definitely won't get as many likes. And according to digital data scientists, that's not just because of the bots. It's human nature. Too often you're harmlessly scrolling through Twitter to gawk at some scandalous celebrity rant. And the next, you're 30 comments deep into a QAnon thread, leaving you questioning your own sanity and convinced that public education is probably the most underfunded sector in America. And while it's Democrats who are calling for more accountability among social media giants over the spread of mis- and disinformation, Republicans are focused on claims that social media censors conservative opinions. I'll just cut to the chase. Big tech's out to get conservatives. That's not a suspicion. That's not a hunch. That's a fact. Which brings us to the possible repeal of Section 230, a.k.a. the 26 words that created the Internet. So Section 230 reads, all 26 words of it, no provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. And that's created the internet as we know it, a bastion of free speech, consumer reviews, blogs, websites, everything. Now, a growing number of lawmakers have zeroed in on this little piece of law, this 26 words, as something they want to go after. Democrats want tighter restrictions on the internet, more regulation on the content that is going out there. They say it's it's something that has created uh, violence on the internet, that people are becoming radicalized on the internet. Now, Republicans have zeroed in on different part of the law. The part of the law that says that you can moderate the content and you're still not responsible for it. That moderation, they don't like that. And they think that tech companies are moderating against them and that the internet is biased against conservatives. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle have gotten much more interested in how the law regulates the internet in recent years, but 
it really depends on what the actual law will say. So 26 words from 1996 may not be the most savvy, but they are the law of the land now. And until we see actual proposals, experts say it's just too much to know what the internet would look like under a new set of regulations. There's a lot to consider when it comes to repealing 230, since it would give the government broad authority to indirectly police content online, as well as make social media companies liable for what users post potentially eliminating discussion or commentary on controversial topics. Removing Section 230 will remove speech from the Internet. Of course, our ability to provide access to a wide range of information is only possible because of existing legal frameworks like Section 230. People can reasonably disagree about where to draw the lines. Uh, That's a hallmark of democratic societies. I believe Congress has a role to play, too, in order to give people confidence that the process is carried out in a way that balances society's deeply held values appropriately. And that's why I've called for regulation. And in case you were wondering, government censorship of the internet in other countries is still very much a thing. Today, Germany is hailed as an example of democracy. And because it also happens to be a country with a deep anti-Semitic and racist past, one that isn't entirely eradicated, in 2017, its government decided to pass strict social media regulations forcing platforms to remove hate speech and other illegal content. Opponents argue that the law's short review periods and risk of steep fines push companies to over-censor. Also, it provides no judicial process for appeals. Some proponents, though, say it doesn't go far enough and that those spewing hate online should be brought to justice. So far, it's earned praise from Russia and the Philippines, two countries known to violate human rights while in Latin America, where it's known that authoritarian regimes do their own policing of social media content, in countries like Venezuela, Nicaragua, and Cuba, dissidents are targeted via the content they post. But many U.S. Twitter users, for example, are opting to switch their account locations to Germany, welcoming the censorship in order to avoid pro-Nazi content from reaching their feeds, making it clear that the line between online freedom of expression and content regulation is one the world has yet to come to a consensus on. Sometimes, it seems, we forget that social media platforms aren't actually public spaces. So when private companies like Twitter regulate content, it's not a violation of our First Amendment. Regardless of what some former elected officials might have told you. It's a thing called free speech rights. You look at Google, Facebook, Twitter, and other social media giants, and I've made it clear that we as a country cannot tolerate political censorship. Repealing Section 230, which Trump has repeatedly called for, would mean more government oversight of social media companies. So how exactly would that work for Trump when he launches his own digital platform? Thinking things through has never really been his thing. And although Donald Trump was the first to plant the seed for repealing Section 230, President Joe Biden may be the one who ensures the young sapling sprouts into a full-grown fiddle leaf. That's right. Biden has called for the repeal, arguing that sites like Facebook knowingly propagate false information. So, the future of social media's legal shield is still very much in question, which means we'll have to seriously consider what the repercussions of eliminating those 26 critical words might actually look like. Regulating big tech and and breaking up these companies will do is give more oxygen for new companies to come along, 
for consumers to be able to choose which ones they actually want to use and take all of their favorite parts of the other apps with them. It depends on the kind of regulation, but certainly any significant tweaking or the full-on repeal of Section 230 would change the internet uh, as we know it. Google and Facebook and Amazon and Microsoft, uh, they already have big teams of engineers and lawyers that are ready to comply with any new regulations or laws. Uh, and I worry that in that environment, the market will become much more uh, boring. We think that we need much more regulation in tech. And that's because these companies, especially these five, have an outsized impact on not only our economy, but also our democracy as well. Yes, there are many monopolies in big tech, in particular the ones that we talk about a lot because they require immediate and bold action, include Amazon, Apple, Facebook, Google, or otherwise known as Alphabet, and um, Microsoft. I do not think that we see monopolies in what people generally call big tech. In fact, I think most of these companies are far be it, far be it from being monopolies, they're actually competitors. Beyond financial repercussions, eliminating Section 230 would pressure social media companies to review an inconceivable number of posts in order to avoid lawsuits, which would then require them to make even more decisions about what content is appropriate, causing more claims that they're biased against certain views. I'm going to predict sometime in the future, Section 230 is repealed. I log on to a social media platform and essentially they've now become publishers. If it were to be repealed and they are forced to hold accountable, they become publishers, what's going to happen is they will censor more content because then they are legally responsible. In that world, I think we start to see a very splintered ecosystem of technology platforms that are not only partisan, but interest-based in general. I don't think that's what the public wants. I don't think that's what the economy wants. Mm -hmm. um, I think that if that happens, I think we see these platforms uh, collapse over time. I personally don't believe and I don't want Section 230 to be completely repealed. And there is a lot of value to it. I think incremental changes to it and serious considerations and slow progress forward is the better option because oftentimes law gets put in place and it stays in place for a very long time. Um, I would rather see innovation changes. I would rather see companies come up and change the way things happen, business terms, uh, and compete and force change based on market innovation. And I also believe this is going to be a generational thing. I think that there's a whole generation of people, 25 to 45, who lived through the early days of the internet and technology, and they, they've watched all this happen. They said, we grew up around this. We saw it before it got crazy, and we saw it after it got crazy. We don't want this anymore. We don't want our kids to go through this anymore. We don't want our nations to go through this anymore. We are going to make very intentional decisions to make sure this doesn't happen anymore. There is a ton of gray area when it comes to the topic of social media how often we use it, who profits from it, and who has the power to regulate it. And a choice between social media platforms that double as infinite dispensaries for conspiracy theories disguised as facts, or ones that diminish healthy democratic discourse as a result of too much government oversight is a false one. 
The answer lies somewhere in between. In the meantime, get some fresh air. Take a little break from the endless stream of selfies and humble brags and give yourself a little mental detox from the virtual spaces we've been relegated to during the pandemic. Or don't. Whatever. I'm not your mom. Just do whatever you have to and don't be a troll. I'm Gabriela Fresquez for Radar 2021. Thanks for watching Radar 2021. Please like, subscribe, and comment down below and let us know what issues are important to you. Because let's be honest, there are a lot of issues to choose from. (laughs) So, so many.